I was at a mastermind with a bunch of podcasters where we're going around the horseshoe and it's super like awkward and embarrassing. And everybody is like, it was the pissing contest thing where like the first guy was like, you're supposed to say your goal for your show for the year. And everybody has a monetary thing. 100,000, 150,000, 160,000. The guy next to me says 2 million. And then I get up and I go, man, if I make like 60K or so, I'm good. I just want to make sure I pick up my kids from school every day and take them to school every day. And after 3 p.m., I'm a dad every day. And everybody's minds were just like blown. And then it was a bathroom break. I had half that room come up to me and go, your goal is the best. I want goals like you. There's a difference between a dream chaser and a dream catcher. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and we've got one of my favorite people on the show today, ladies and gentlemen. For those of you who haven't heard, there is this legend in the podcasting industry. He goes by the name of Butter Voice. <laughs> He's from the Midwest. My man, Adam. I've never said your last name before. Scheibel. Did I get that right? It's very close. And you ruined, after you called me Butter Voice, I was going to be like, hey, Jerome. Uh, <laughs> no, my last name is pronounced Shibley. Shibley. I've never said your last Shibley. name. And all of our calls, I just call you Butter Voice. So most people avoid my last name altogether. So that's totally okay. I played varsity basketball for four years in high school and I got, you know, the starting lineups for the away games. So it got mispronounced every single game, like, you know, 20 games a year. So that's like a hundred mispronouncing. And finally my, our crowd would be like, shyly. They would just yell it out instead of the announcer being able to say it. So I'm used to it, man. It's all good. Well, I actually feel awful because I do consider you a friend, like outside of all the other stuff. And, you know, Adam has just been amazing. He's showed up in my world, made some suggestions, made some recommendations. And when you go implement what Adam says, things start to change for you. So Adam, so grateful for you. You know, I heard you on a podcast and we're just going to dive into it. And you're like, yeah, I just wanted to be able to pick my kid up from school every day. So I decided to change my life. And when I heard that, I was like, who is this guy? And how do I get to hang out with him? And so eventually I tracked you down. But you know, we usually start the show off talking about self-image. And so who are you other than a four-year varsity basketball player who picks up his kid from school every day? Well, I think like at the root, I'm a guy that really enjoys being in control of my time, being in control of my flow, being in control of my schedule, being in control of who I interact with, how I interact with them, and when I interact with them. And I'm an entrepreneur and in the entrepreneur space. Like you mentioned, how you heard me talking on that other show, like it's a big like pissing contest thing about like money and this is all this money that I make and all. And I know a lot of people that, and you know this as well as me, like they have really crappy lifestyles and they aren't compensating 
themselves well in life. Like there's a lot of money flowing, but they're being kind of crappy bosses to themselves. They're self-employed, but they aren't a good boss to themselves because they never get a day off. They're like, and all these entrepreneurs out there are like, I want to ditch the nine to five. And like Jerome says, take the red pill, man. And, and I want to like, you know, control my life. But they go from a nine to five and they turn it into a five to nine as a 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. You know, and that's like, and they never have a day off. So with me, like I work four days a week. That's who I am. Today's today's my Friday. We're talking on a Thursday. Today's my Friday. You know, and I tease my son. I go, oh, do you have to go to school tomorrow? Oh, I don't have to work. Too bad for you, man. He's in fourth grade and he gets all mad at me. He's like, shut up, dad. I want to be an entrepreneur like you someday, man. Not work on Friday. But like, that's my main form of compensation. Having my Friday. Friday is my day and I do whatever I want. And, you know, if I want to sit at home in my underwear and watch the office all day, awesome. If that's what's going to recharge my battery, but I prefer to like learn things or be creative. And then Saturday, Sunday, it's all about family and just connecting and recharging. And I come back on Monday through Thursday, primed, ready to go. And I get as much stuff done as anybody else. But that's, I guess I'm an efficiency addict. I'm a family and experience addict. I love connecting with friends like my buddy Jerome here. And I always kind of grade myself at the end of the day. Like, did I really live life today? Did I really experience? things that connect with people or did I just put the blinders on and go through the motions so I don't win every day but I try to win most wow that level of reflection is uncommon so you talked about the five to nine right and I think you may have lived that out a little while in your entrepreneur career so before you were podcast whisperer what were you doing well, I'm a recovering gym owner, as I put it now. Like, I've always been an entrepreneur. So I've never worked for anybody else ever. I'm unemployable. Like, it just doesn't work. So, like, I was the kid when I was my daughter's age. She's in kindergarten. Like, I was the dude that was hustling the neighborhood kids and going, all right, let's all, we're all cute, right? Let's make cards, handmade cards and sell them. And I'm like, I'll supply the paper and the crayons. We had this like station in my basement. We made all the cards and then I'd send them out for delivery and they go door to door, which is like, we had some creepy ass people in my neighborhood. I'm like, I wouldn't let my kid do this. And like, we're selling these cards for a dollar a pop. And then I would give them half and I would take half for supplies. But I was, I mean, my mom was paying for the supplies. So I send them out across the neighborhood to get like kidnapped and stuff. And then they bring the money back. And so that that's who I am. But I came out of college. I started doing personal training. I eventually started my own gym business. And in the 10 years of being a gym owner, I worked myself into the hospital three times, just stress, anxiety, passing out from not sleeping, doing, you know, when you're in the fitness industry, personal training, gym ownership, people come to work out on the hours that are non-typical work hours. Right. So we work and the hours that other people don't work. So our middle of the day can be kind of boring sometimes, but before 9am and after 5pm, those are the busiest times. That's where the most opportunity is. So I'm up at 3.30 in the morning, setting up classes, doing 100 person boot camp classes in my facility. And we go all day with personal training or whatever, and then do business stuff, marketing. And then after 5pm, it's time to rock again. I'm doing evening classes and all this stuff. And I learned some hard lessons. Like I didn't have any employees until the first time I went to the hospital and I had to call somebody and go, Hey, you got to teach class today because I'm going to the hospital. <laughs> and, and that was when I hired my first employee. <laughs> so it was kind of forced upon me, but that's, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they live that lifestyle, that hustle lifestyle, because that, that's just kind of what's out there, but there's definitely a different way. And that's kind of what I transitioned to. Now you got a PhD, right? Oh yeah. I've got the hat to prove it. It's right there. The PhD. All the actual doctors out there that earn their PhDs, 
sometimes they get upset. So I always say it's the PhD. The story with that is PhD is previously heavy dude. So I used to rock the scale a bit at 327 pounds. I've got some pictures to, to show your audience. There's me with my wife now. I'm like getting ready to just like consume her with my largeness. This was my dating profile pic. I thought if I put a cute puppy in front of my face, didn't work. I was a big dude. You know, I had a 22 inch neck. Bam. But no, I, that was back in like 2007 ish. And yeah, I went on a journey to lose hundred pounds. And that's what kind of kicked off my whole business in the weight loss space is because I could lead by example and go, well, yeah, I lost hundred pounds. I can show you how to do it too. And I started helping people and then they started telling other people I ended up helping 15 different people lose hundred pounds in my hometown in Indiana here. And Indiana is always one of the more obese states. So there's plenty of opportunity around here to get healthy. And then I started a boot camp thing. Our first location, we were directly across the street from a McDonald's. And McDonald's has the billion served or whatever. So I created a, a street side sign that would be every thousand pounds lost in the community, we'd update it. So we ended up doing 35,000 pounds in five years and just crushing it, man. Like we had eventually moved into an 8,000 square foot facility and we had that thing wallpapered with before and after pictures, like 8,000 square feet lining the walls up and down just before and after pictures, you know, and we only started at 30 pounds and above because we didn't have room for a 20 pound transformation. It was like, if you hit 30 pound club, all right, your, your picture's going up. And then we watched the journey go from there. But yeah, it was pretty crazy. I love the impact that we made. And eventually that in 2020, I sold the gym and transitioned into where I am now as a full-time podcaster. But yeah, that's how I earned the PhD. Have I ever told you the story about when I first used that to sneak on a podcast? Nope. I've heard it, but I think you should share it with the listeners because it's you want me to tell it? Okay. I'll tell the shorter version. So when I started in podcasting, one of the best ways to grow your show is to get on other shows in the space. So I had a health show called The Million Pound Mission. There was this other big show that I was like, man, they're always number one ranked and new and noteworthy. But she only interviewed doctors, Dr. Oz, Dr. Deepak Chopra, like all these fancy, super smart people. But a lot of these super smart people are also super boring, like just because they have that monotone, like Bueller, Bueller, and they're very sciencey. And I'm like, I'm going to be like the surge of caffeine on this show. I'm going to hit them upside the head with this voice and this energy, and they're going to love me. I know it. So uh, there's this whole application, and I got to be a doctor. So I sign my name, Adam Shibley, PhD, and I get through. I get through the gatekeeper for like a little pre-interview. Let's see if it's a good fit. And I do that. She's like, dude, you are in, man. This is, is going to be great, great story, all the results. I can't wait. So then I felt bad. I was like, all right, Ashley, let me tell you. I put PhD on behind my name, but it stands for previously heavy dude. And she's like, I love it, man. This is great. You're the PhD. So that was like the first time I did that. That's where it all came from. But that show, my show on, I went on there, blew it up. She invited me back uh, for like the new year's day episode, tore it up. And then I started using it. PhD, PhD, because people would recognize that. Like I even wore my PhD hat. I'm in Omaha, Nebraska. And somebody's like, PhD. And like, I listened to your show. I'm like, that's crazy. I got recognized in uh, a Disney world. Talk about some street cred with my six-year-old, my 10-year-old. When somebody recognizes you in a steakhouse at Disney world from your podcast, that elevated me for a few days. And then my wife just like rolled her eyes. She, she won't even listen to my show. She's like, whatever. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, I'm pretty much podcast famous now as the PhD. Yeah, I think it's more than podcast famous. I see you doing your reels on Instagram and all kind of stuff. So it's crazy. But the shift that you made. So you had the old podcast and I'm looking at the wall behind you. You're famous, but you don't put your picture on your artwork. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So that's I call it the billboard rule. And 
I mean, is it 100% tried and true fact? No. But if somebody's brand new launching a show, I see people getting hung up on their logo, on their podcast image. All right. I talked to somebody, Jerome, that had recorded 40 interviews, 40 hour long interviews, 40 hours of interviews. I can't emphasize that enough. And they hadn't launched their show yet because they hadn't got the right image. Like they hadn't figured out what color or, or whatever. And I was like, that is some serious podcastination right there. Like you got to get the show out. You got 40 hours of great content. Like you just got to launch. So the billboard rule that I follow is if you would were to put your face on a billboard in New York City or like Los Angeles, would people know who the hell you are? And if not, don't put your face on your podcast image. Simple, you know, nobody knows who I am. Will Ferrell, yes. Some of these famous like fitness celebrities, yes. Matthew McConaughey, yes. Famous comedians, yes. Adam, no, like nobody knows who the hell that is. So I imagine somebody scrolling on their phone, which, you know, we have to think about the phone screen. It's tiny for most, that if, unless you have like Jerome's like Samsung Galaxy 12,000, that's like an iPad phone. You know, that's an iPad. That's not a phone. So <laughs> that's a tablet. They try to put it in their pocket. Like if it doesn't fit in your pocket, it's not a phone. That's a tablet. So that's like a Game Boy. So <laughs> I tell people like people are scrolling on their phone and that image is tiny on the podcast player. So if your big old face is taking up half of it and then you got some little cursive writing at the bottom that actually says what the show is, people are going to keep scrolling like who's this joker so with me i make the words as big and thick as possible and they cover as much screen as possible with that image and so whether it's you know low carb hustle or podcasting business school or whatever like i just want people to be able to read it and i don't take up the real estate with my face it's not a famous face <laughs> but it is a butter voice so yeah how does one lose 100 pounds what happened why would you do that <laughs> so i was competing in strength sports all right so I was big, but I was strong. So I was doing Highland Games. I got another picture for you, Jerome. Have you ever seen me wearing a, a kilt? Because now you have. Boom. So I'm throwing the 56-pound weight for distance, for height. I'm throwing the caber, the telephone pole, the tree. But I'm way unhealthy. Like, I'm fat, you know, for sure. Like, I'm strong. I'm deadlifting 700 pounds, bench pressing 500 pounds, all this stuff. But I'm not healthy. And I was in Estes Park, Colorado, competing. I was one of the top 10 amateur Highland Games athletes in the country, which doesn't really mean a whole lot. There aren't that many, but I was at elevation and I'm from Indiana. So low elevation, I go out to Estes Park and like, I'm having a hard time walking around. I'm having a hard time walking up three stairs and I'm just getting out of breath. I feel terrible. And I was just like, oh, this sucks, man. And then I finally realized I'd been justifying my health. Like I'm okay because I'm strong. Like I'm stronger than anybody I know, so I'm good. But walking around and not being able to keep my breath and things like that, I was like, all right, I got to be real. And I uh, decided to retire from the, the heavy athletics and still train heavy, but, you know, do some cardio, change my diet. So that really motivated me because I was in a serious relationship and I was like, you know, I want to have kids. I want to be around for my kids and I want to be around for my wife and I'll be able to move and I see a lot of you know, older strength athletes that just beat the hell up and they're in their like 50s. And I'm like, dude, I want to be able to walk in my 50s. I don't have like two hip replacements and knee replacements and all this stuff. So that really, that experience in Colorado really changed the way I thought. And I was like, all right, let's, if I'm being real, I thought I'd have abs as soon as I got under 300 pounds. I, was like, I, I get 299, I'm going to be smoking hot. I'm going to be ripped, get all the attention. I'll be a Speedo model probably. And 299, still fat. I've got the picture. I'll send it to you. I don't have it with me, but I had like the picture that was like 299. And I'm like, I'm like doing like the sexy pose. I'm thinking like, yeah, oh yeah, that looks hot. And now that's the one I show how terrible I looked. I had a big old butt because I, I could squat, you know, 650 and deadlift 700. So I had this giant butt 
and then this giant stomach still no abs. And then I was like, I started getting competitive with myself. I'm like, all right, I, I want to see what the ab situation actually looks like. I want to see what it takes to get down there. And then once I got into the two twenties, the abs appeared and, and good things started to happen there. But it was a lot of hard work. I had to sweat. I had to give up the beer and really start focusing on what I was eating. That made the difference. Wow. So from 290 to 220, and you're like 6'4 or something. So, I mean, you were fit yeah. to be an NFL lineman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like in college, I got strong in college. So every year I was competing in powerlifting and all this at Indiana University. And some of the football coaches started talking to me and that didn't work out because it just like, they're like, oh, you're too big of a project for a big 10 school. But they're like, Hey, you could go to this combine thing. I was like, all right. And I'm crushing it, man. I had like a, an almost 10 foot standing broad jump, 43 inch vertical at 300 plus pounds. And like, just like doing all this stuff, but that nothing never worked out with that. I didn't even get a look from like an arena league team. Cause they're like, last time you played football was in eighth grade. But like, now you see all these basketball players becoming tight ends. I'm like, man, I missed my calling. I could have been like Tony Gonzalez, but not for me. This is wild. And so, but how do you go from being a basketball star to weighing 320 pounds? Well, good question, Jerome. I graduated high school all-conference basketball player. I started lifting weights my senior year. So I was like up to 190. I was feeling pretty buff at that point. And then I decided to quit playing basketball and I was just going to start. I fell in love with strength. So I started competing in powerlifting and there are weight classes in powerlifting. So my freshman year in college at any university, I competed at 198 pounds. That was the weight class. And I look around, everybody's five foot two, everybody. I'm like a foot and a half taller than everybody. And when you talk about squats and deadlifts and bench press, we talk leverage and lever arms. And I've got a six foot eight wingspan. So I've got a giant long arms. I'm trying to out bench press some guy that's five foot two, 198. That's not, so I'm like, all right, I got to put on 20 pounds to go to the 220 class. So the next year I got second in the nation still competing against all these little guys. Then sophomore year, go up to 220, gain the weight, still look good, feeling good and still competing against five foot tall guys. I'm like, shit. You know, I got second again, second in the nation to a different guy. Third junior year, I go up to 242. And finally, I'm getting some people that are like 5'8". I'm like, all right, fine. I'm not like a full foot taller than these guys. Got second in the nation again, new weight class. Senior year, moved up to 275. And the guy that was supposed to win got hurt. So I'm like, I'm going to win this year. And I had a terrible meet. But I was finally competing against some taller people. I was always way taller than everybody else. But then... Like my junior, senior year, going from 242 plus, I started to develop some unhealthy eating. I wouldn't call it like disordered eating, but like food addiction where you just like, I can put it away and just not even think about it. And all of a sudden, wow, that was 10,000 calories. Like the 10 for 10 taco box at Taco Bell. I just eat all of them. 10 bucks, 10 tacos. No problem. Do this. White Castle, whatever that deals where they have the whole bag full, I would eat that on the way home. I'd be driving home. I'd eat all of them. And like, no problem. Whole pizza, no problem. I did a a food contest where I ate 12 pounds of pizza in an hour and it was hot. So that became an issue because in college, they have those like cafeteria swipe cards, you know, with the little you swipey and then the points and then that's not real money. And I made friends with all these little cheerleaders that are like 100 pounds and they don't use all their points. I'm like, let's be friends. Let's go to Taco John's. Let's go. Uh, Dairy Queen, swipe that card. And I was using all their points and all my points, eating in between. And that's when I started to get those unhealthy habits. And then once I graduated, you know, over the next couple of years, I continued to put on weight to where 
we tipped it at 327 at the top point when I went to Estes Park, Colorado. That's wild. But it's always a slippery slope and it's always gradual. And back to your point about you thought you were going to have abs after losing 30 pounds, right? It's, you know, you went from 220, maybe a little bit less to 320. And you thought, well, if I just come back down 30, then it's good. And you're like, no, I got to come back the whole hundred. And now yeah. I'm good. And then you dancing with the stars. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like I might be sort of a Forrest Gump story. Like I got a lot of stories within the story. You know what I'm saying? So and I've got lots of little sayings like mama always said. So <laughs> these are my magic shoes. <laughs> so <laughs> when my gym started taking off and we're kind of known in the community, our local community has this thing called Dancing with Celebrities. It's a fundraiser for we had to pick our own charity, but it's like a local fundraiser, but it's like a knockoff of Dancing with the Stars. All right. But the rule is we have this cool old theater in town. We're college town and, you know, we have a cool downtown area. It's like a 600 seater bus Kirk Chumley. So they're like, all right, you're going to do three dances with a professional trainer partner. And it's going to be in front of 600 people. I was like, oh, damn, like this just got real. So I kick into hyper competitive mode. I'm training every day. Like I'm training my damn dance. I've got a note sheet. I couldn't remember any of the steps at first. So I had to like write them all out. I had like this code for what each step was. And uh, finally I started to get it, but I trained for four months for this and we had to pick our charity. I picked boys and girls club. We ended up getting second in the overall charity fundraising. We did $35,000 with our fundraising. And the only reason I got second, do you know who John Mellencamp is? John Cougar Mellencamp. He's a, like a, a rock artist. He's from Indiana. People listening in may know who John Mellencamp is, you know, Jack and Diane, little pink houses. Like he's a, an eighties guy. Anyway, he's like locally famous. He comes in and his sons were attending this school. That was another charity. He drops like a $25,000 donation to put them way up over me. I was like, Oh, John Cougar melon camp. But anyway, so I got defeated by him, but I won the dancing and I sent you my video. This is the LMFAO. I'm sexy and I know it where I busted it out. Like I ripped my pants off. I've got a sparkly glitter shirt on. I'm doing the hot cha-cha with my uh, dance coach slash partner, Mary Alice. And Mary Alice isn't a little woman. For the first time ever in the history of that competition, they allowed a student, which was me, to lift an instructor up over their head. So I pick her up and I'm doing this twirly thing with her over my head. I blew out an intercostal. I didn't tell you that. So the night before in our last rehearsal, I've got a blown intercostal. So that's the muscle between your ribs and it's super painful. And my wife's a physical therapist, she's taping me up. So I'm all taped up and, you know, but we went out and won with the hot cha-cha. And yeah, I felt good about that experience. And that's something I, it's kind of a recurring theme in my life. I feel like that fits with kind of escaping the norm that you preach with this show is I like to do things that are super uncomfortable, way outside of my comfort zone. I got to learn new things. I've got to push myself mentally and or physically. And this is a really good example of that. Wow. So you go from throwing logs to doing the hot cha-cha. <laughs> In dance pants. In dance pants that you snatched <laughs> off like uh, Ricky Iglesia or whatever the guy's name is, right? This is wild. My shirt was so tight. I came back with one of those like Under Armour. I go to Dick's Sporting Goods. I try on I'm like, oh, this is good. I try it on for my coach. He goes, no, tighter. I was like, tighter. I'm like, because I'm like 250 still at this point, 240-ish. I'm on my way down. And I was like, all right. So I go to the kids section. I get like a youth 
XL or something like that. And when I tried on the shirt that I had on, the little security pin popped off. It popped off and it started like spraying all the ink everywhere. So I'm like, I got the shirt half on and I'm running out of the changing room with this ink spraying everywhere. It looks like I'm trying to steal it. I'm like, it just popped off. And they're like, sir, do you know this is a use? <laughs> I'm like, a dance coach told me to get a tighter shirt. I don't know. <laughs> It's like one of those moments in my life that I tend to find myself in. And so we end up working that out. They realized I wasn't trying to steal the the youth shirt. And yeah, it helped me win though. It was that extra tightness. It helped like it worked with kind of like compression with my busted rib. So it actually helped me. And then like the bedazzled stuff that really inspired me. The most ridiculous story ever. This is amazing, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you're smiling and laughing as much as I am. My cheeks hurt right now. So look, man, I'm looking and I'm thinking about this thing. And I'm like, you you pivoted, then you pivoted, then you pivoted. You got like 88 pieces of clothing. Yeah. And like, you got a red pill shirt. Yeah. So, and you, I'm not supposed to say this, but you got rid of a Star Wars shirt or something that, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My kids bought me a Baby Yoda t-shirt for Christmas. So I keep my wardrobe to 80 items or less. I'm a big fan of minimalism. It's something that really vibes with me. That's easy. That's not a challenge at all. Like keeping a low wardrobe number, no problem. That makes my life easier. So I keep the items to 80 or less. Socks count as two. Anytime I have like a sweatshirt on, especially I'm wearing 10% of my clothes that I own. So just think about that. Think about how many shoes you guys have out there. And then just the thing about a lot of you out there probably have 80 pairs of shoes. And <laughs> that may be a thing. So yeah, my kids bought me a Baby Yoda Star Wars shirt. But I really like the red pill shirt. And I was like, something's got to go. The Baby Yoda shirt has like, it's one of those large print ones that's uncomfortable. Because it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like you it, with it feels like ink. it's going to irritate your skin. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, ugh. And the red pill is so soft and nice and it fits really good. Like it shows off my man chest. I think about it. There's a trick. Do you know the trick to making your arms look a lot bigger in t-shirts, Jerome? Have you ever heard about this? No. You got to buy the ladies cut. I'm telling you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 I used to sell shirts at the gym and there was a classic moment. One of my instructors was walking around. He's like, I really like these new shirts. And one of the women was like, yo, Bill, that's a lady's cut. And he's like, no, it's not. I would know that. And she goes, check out the pink tag. Like that's, and it says like ladies, whatever, you know, and ladies style cut. And he's like, oh, oh, well, I look good. You know, and rocking the ladies cut. But the red pill shirt came in. The other one had to go, but minimalism is something that, like i said it makes my mind at ease it, it lessens the decision making i have to make you know i have to make on a daily basis and uh like a good definition before people are like oh minimalist you try to have as little stuff as possible that's not the way i define it. i define it as you maximize the things that give you the most value and you minimize the rest so if you love shoes maximize them if you love hats, maximize them. If you love video games, maximize them. If you love collecting CDs, maximize them. Like I've got, you see these mixed tiles behind me. I've got 200 of these things in my house. That's not minimalist in most people's books, but I love them. Every time we go on a spring break vacation, we'll take five or six pictures. I'll go on the mixed tiles app. I'll order these tiles and then they're there when we get home and my kids put them on the wall. It's an awesome experience. We remember all of our vacations. You know, when you think minimalism, it's more to me about maximizing the stuff that you love. Like this sweatshirt I'm wearing, I wear it all the time. It's my Keto Savage sweatshirt. It's, it's like, I have nice stuff. Like this is like an $80 sweatshirt, but I've only got two sweatshirts. I don't have 30 sweatshirts that are all $80 or $20 or whatever. Like I'm wearing my nice pro rec pants and they're like $100 like workout pants, 
but I have two pairs. I have one pair of jeans. I have two pairs of shoes. You know, like that's, I have one hat, but I love it. So everything I wear, I'm like, I love this. And when I put on my red pill shirt, I'm like, I love this. And it's soft and I love supporting Jerome and what he's all about. So just imagine that every time you're putting, it's like that Marie Kondo jive, you know, it's like, I got, I'm sparking joy, you know? And it's, I think that's kind of nerdy, but like, that's how I feel. This is wild. This is amazing. And the clarity there, right? And I think we end up with a bunch of clutter. We buy all these things. We don't really want them or need them. And we think we got to have them. And then we look around and we're like, well, wait, how did that get there? You realize you wasted a lot of stuff. And I think the other piece of this is it forces you to ask the question, do I really want? Because you have to give up something else in order to have that thing. And most people think, oh, well, I don't have to give anything up. I'll just get more. And then you get up stuck with more, like stuck with it, right? Like adding more weight or adding more of whatever it is. And then you got to figure out how to either lose it, but hopefully you lose it permanently. So you don't continue going back to that. Yeah, That's solid, man. So you were probably making good money at the gym if you lost all of that weight across town. And this thought of running a podcast business is probably a little terrifying. What was your worst fear in making this pivot? Because they are totally different industries. Well, that's an important question. That's a great question. And like I had the gym for 10 years and that paid every bill. Like you said, that was the safety net. And to me, honestly, like the biggest fear in that transition was that I would kind of succumb to the safety, that safeness and not pursue this dream because the last couple of years of the gym weren't great for me. Like they were very stressful. There was a lot of negativity. We had you know, when I launched the bootcamp program, there were five competitors in town, like all the, you know, like Jazzercise and the YMCA. And I'm this like local crazy man that's producing all these results. There was no competition really. And then fast forward to 2018, 2019, there are 50 bootcamp programs, gyms, like all the big franchises are coming in. They're trying to steal clients. It's cutthroat. Like they're sneaking people in, trying to talk to people and just it just became so negative. But so the biggest fear in the transition was like, I could hack it out. I could always have my bills paid. I could always do that. But I hate going in that gym right now. And I've hated that for a couple of years. I didn't hate the people. I hated just the way I felt and the experience and how I felt like I felt like I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing anymore. And I had already launched my show. I'd already experienced like the tip of the iceberg with the positivity of the podcast environment. I got to interact and be like, wow, like nobody is trying to like shut someone else down. Like when I come on your show, I'm not like putting subliminal messages out there going unsubscribe from this podcast and subscribe to mine instead. Like I'm not doing that, you know, and that's not like what the environment is like at all. So I started to fall more and more in love with the medium of podcasting, fell out of love with with gym ownership and that whole experience. But then that made the negativity grow even more because then I started spending less time in there, more time at home, building online stuff. And in Indiana, there's this vibe of like, oh, he thinks he's something. He's trying to big time us now. Like he thinks he's all Mr. Famous on this podcast thing. And we do these like surveys where they don't have to put their name and all, which is like the worst idea ever for somebody that really takes those things to heart. And there are comments where they're saying, get off the podcast thing. It's a joke. Quit feeding your ego, get your butt in class and start teaching more. You're killing the gym, all this stuff. And that was the last straw for me where I just knew I had to get out of there and just put that fear aside of, okay, 
I know this is how I've been paying the bills. I know it's very comfortable. I feel like I can always have my bills paid no matter what the competition level is, but I'm not aligned with this. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I feel like I've made my impact. I can be proud of what I accomplished because most people in the fitness industry don't even care about results. They just care about making money. And to me, it was like, let's get results first. The money will come. And it did. And I took that view with podcasting. Now, you know how I network with people and how I add value and how I just give until they, you know, until something good happens out of that relationships and relationship building is the key thing for me. So I'd have that courage to move into the space. I was making some money, not enough to cover my bills, but once all the safety net was gone, I was like, all right, it just got real. I got to hustle my buns off and let's see what happens. And that was the biggest fear is just like that safety net of the gym. Did you feel like you had to match your income from the gym with your new business before you can make the transition? No. I knew I've got a lot of confidence in myself and my ability to help people. Like that's the formula for me is just help people understand your audience, understand how they need help, understand how you can help them, and then just add value and show people examples of that until business starts to happen. And you're going to figure it out. And I always figure it out. So I just felt like I had to, to, to charge into this thing and go, all right, trust that the income will happen. And I've never been an idiot with money. I've been like a voracious saver where I typically, if you look at the pie chart of all the money that comes in every month, I'm investing 80%. I'm living off of 20%. So I've got plenty in the bank. I'm like, all right, I've got, I know exactly how much my income, how much I spend on our family lifestyle. I'm very frugal. I'm a minimalist already. Uh, I drive a nerd car. I don't have a car loan. I don't have a home loan. I'm debt free. I'm like, I can skate through on very little income if I need to. So that gave me some confidence too. I was like, all right, I'll get there and it's going to happen. But a few weird months, I'm not going to stress out about it. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. You're not going to be under a bridge because you put yourself in a good position, a position of strength. And that yep. seems to be a recurring theme of your life is like all this other stuff's pretty, but I'm going to get strong. I'm going to be in a place where I'm in control. And it seems like you've just gone to more and more control. You first started with your body and be as this big immovable mass that can push all kinds of things around and kind of exert my will on the world. And now it seems like you decided that it's not so much your will on the world anymore as much as it's your time and you get to dictate how it gets spent. Because at the gym, you're a slave to everybody else's schedule. With podcasting, you yep. kind of edit when you want, you release when you want, you interview when you want, unless it's somebody that you really want on the show and they decide that their schedule is more important than yours. But I mean, it seems like you've just been able to make those adjustments. And so I brought this up earlier and I want to come back to it. You wanted to pick your kid up from school every day. What happened to make that a top priority and what makes you hold true to that? Because some people are like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I did it for a month. I'll just go back to this other thing. It's not that big of a deal, but you still do that. So I love this question because I feel like it's going to be an aha moment for your listeners. I want you to all think about the important goalpost events of your days and your weeks and your months. So like for me, like every day I got to have some alone time, like personal time where I'm doing stuff that I really enjoy, like, and like, you know, personal growth stuff. 
not just work stuff. I've got to have time with my family. I've got to have time with my kids. I've got to have time with my wife. I like making breakfast for the family. I make breakfast almost every day for my wife and kids. I love taking the kids to school. I love being, being that last person that says, you know, have a great day. I love you before they head off. I like to get them from school. I miss them like crazy while they're gone for that in-between time. Like it's crazy. I never thought I'd be like that, but it's like, I miss them right now. Like I know they'll be home in about an hour. I'm like, that really starts to, I'm like, I just saw them a few hours ago, but you know, it just starts to pull on you. And like, having family like story time, putting them to bed at night, like all those things. I don't want to be the dad where the kids are going, where's dad? I'm okay being the business owner and my clients going, well, Adam's limit has some limited availability, you know, or whatever. And so you think about those goalpost moments in your days, weeks, months. And I'm like, all right, if I'm gonna be an entrepreneur again, I don't want to be a crappy boss to myself. I want to have days off. I want to have my schedule. Like we can compensate ourselves greatly early on with our lifestyle and our schedule. Maybe you aren't making as much money as you were in the J-O-B, but you can immediately compensate yourself handsomely with your schedule by just blocking stuff off. And because all the buffer craziness, that'll fill in the gaps no matter what. You know, and if you don't have any boundaries, it will take all of your time. And those are the people that are working the five to nine, you know, that I mentioned earlier. Like they just go all day, every day and they stress out and they end up in the hospital like I did. So block off those moments. And so for me, I'll wake up at five, from five to six, I usually just do investment in me. I'm reading, I'm journaling, I'm meditating, I'm stretching, I'm doing a little bit of fitness maybe. Then from six to seven, I do project work. So stuff that like, I've just had a little bit of caffeine in me. I'm like, all right, you know, I'm awake. I'll do like targeted project work for that week. And then at seven up to the, the kitchen, got to get breakfast going, get, you know, talking to the kids, get them up, get them ready for school. Uh, I'm learning how to like do my daughter's hair and stuff like that. Like that's an adventure. You know, I told our local hairdresser, I'm like, you should do a daddy hair braiding boot camp. I'm, I'm in, I'm paying. I want to learn how to do some cool shit. So like then, you know, going to school, coming back, walk the dog, go for a long walk, listen to podcasts and audiobooks. Then usually, you know, four-ish hours of focused work, pick up the kids and be a dad the rest of the day. And then I was like, all right, can I handle just Monday through Thursday and always have a three-day weekend? Let's just try that. Let's block that off and see if I... You have to go live under a bridge, like Jerome said. Nope, hasn't happened yet. Still making money, still paying all the bills. I, I feel like if I didn't tell people that I was doing that, they wouldn't even notice. Because I get so much stuff done. Like people are like, you're like one of the most productive people I've ever seen. You, I produce a ton of content. I have three podcasts. I, you know, I do all these coaching sessions and courses. I'm speaking on other people's podcasts. I'm Instagram live and I'm Instagram real. And I've got processes that I have specific times and specific ways that I incorporate all this. And then I block it off and it doesn't bleed into the rest of my day. So I'm always focused. So Wednesday podcast day. I'm recording my episodes. I'm, I'm doing, you know, the editing, I'm putting together videos. I'm in the zone on that all day long. It's I'm not switch tasking. They talk about multitasking, but it's like switching back and forth. And there's this buffer like, oh, and I have to switch my brain and thinking this other thing, you know, Tuesday, all my coaching sessions, one after the next, after the next, after the next, if you want to do coaching with me, it's going to happen on a Tuesday. I've got like 90 minute block on Wednesday, just in case that I can open up if needed. But for the most part, I'm in coach brain mode Tuesdays, you know, for six hours in a row usually. So that helps a lot. And I have, the system hasn't failed yet where I'm like, I'll usually work one Friday per month. If I take on, like I build, you know, coaching membership programs and websites. If I get a big, you know, client like that, I'll tell them like, I can get this done in a week. If you give me four or five hours on a Friday, right? All, that's all I do is build somebody's new course. 
it's going to get done. And it's done in a week. You know, and I, my record is a, I did a 46 video course with email sequences, two different sales pages and the whole deal quizzes. And we got it done in eight days. I mean, I got it done in eight days. I don't know what the we is. I got it done in eight days. So I can be very efficient and get stuff done. So like, it's like Friday is almost like a bonus day. You give me a Friday to work, I'm going to do some crazy stuff because it's like so much extra time compared to what I normally have. So that's kind of the vibe that I take. And, you know, the story that you've kind of hinted at, I was at a mastermind with a bunch of podcasters where we're going around the horseshoe and it's super like awkward and embarrassing. And everybody is like, it was the pissing contest thing where like the first guy was like, you're supposed to say your goal for your show for the year. And everybody has a monetary thing. 100,000, 150,000, 160,000. The guy next to me says 2 million. And then I get up and I go, Man, if I make like 60K or so, I'm good. I just want to make sure I pick up my kids from school every day and take them to school every day. And after 3 p.m., I'm a dad every day. And everybody's minds were just like blown. And then it was a bathroom break. I had half that room come up to me and go, your goal is the best. I want goals like you. And I was like, this is a choice. Take the damn red pill. Listen to Jerome. <laughs> this is outstanding, man. So what happened to help you? Intense focus on family. Not common for... The alpha apex performer dominated in the different spaces that you've been in. That's not common. It's being the best dad you can be isn't a thing. Being available isn't a thing. Most dads go out and they say, I need to go do this so that you can have the stuff. And you're, that's not your motivation. Where, what happened? Where'd that come from? Well, the real key to this is I give my kids zero stuff and then no. <laughs> You think I've got a few clothes. They only have four shirts total. No, they have plenty of things. I mean, I feel like I'm all my cups are filled. I really think about my personal cup, my family and relationship cup, and my business cup. And I try to make sure they aren't low and they aren't overflowing and just try to keep them all full. So like my personal cup, like every day, that first hour of the day, I give to me. But I'm awake at five and no one else is awake yet. So it's easy. A lot of people screw it up where they go, all right, I got to be at work at nine tomorrow. I know it takes me 45 minutes to get ready and get there. So I'm gonna get up at 815. Like they just, they back up their alarm all the way into the very last moment of sleep that they can possibly get before they have to get up and, and get going. I say, let's back that bus up and let's invest in you. Because during the pandemic, especially a lot of people are like, I got to stay up till 11 watching Netflix because I don't get any time. I go, how about we go to bed at 8.45 or 9 and get up at 6? And I'll tell you what, do that for one week where instead of staying up later and investing in you, go to bed earlier and get up earlier and invest in you. It'll change your damn life because you're going to be more productive. You're going to get way more out of it. Netflixing and chilling, there's always a time for that. But getting up in the morning, meditating, reading, journaling, I call it my power hour. Think about four things that you could break up into 15-minute segments for the first hour of your day and invest in you for the first hour. It can be anything you want to do. I've got clients that I've worked through this. They're like, they'll paint for 15 minutes and then do yoga for 15 minutes, go for a walk for 15 minutes, journal for 15 minutes, whatever. But like, especially like the moms, man, it's all about everybody else first and they never invest in themselves because it's like all this kid stuff and friend stuff and job stuff. And it's a game changer. So instead of spending that hour watching, you know, the Kardashians or whatever, you know, shout out Kim. 
call me, <laughs> the, the investment is going to be so much more fruitful if you invest in yourself to start the day versus ending the day. So that, that'd be a challenge that I would put out there because it, with my cups full, I don't feel depleted. And if I start the day investing in me, the whole rest of the day, I'm like, I can invest in my clients and my business and in my family. I'm good because I'm good. I've listened to my podcast. I've stretched. I've worked out. I've kind of surfed the web with whatever. I give myself 15 minutes of thinking time where whatever I want to think about, I can just think about it, you know, and just free whatever. If that leads to journaling or surfing the web or just like whatever tangent I want to go down, you know, finding my next karaoke jam, whatever, man. You know, that is free thinking. And so that's the real key for me. I invest in me first. That way I'm open to investing in everyone else the rest of the day. Wow. 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 Man, I could do this. For the rest of the afternoon, I know you wouldn't do it. You've got other stuff to do so you can be productive, but I can do it. I mean, it's Thursday. I have nothing left. I got all of my stuff done early. I was done, honestly, by about like 11 today. I'm like, all I got to do is talk to Jerome the rest of the day. So I'm good. I'm in the way of the weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Look, all right. So what are you most grateful for, Adam? I'm grateful for a ton, man. I got great people around me. I got my health. I'm really grateful I've lucked out at a few key points in my life of finding the right teacher at the right time or the right, you know, and when I say teacher, like not, maybe not necessarily right there in front of me, but I found the right podcast or the right information. So there was a point in time when I was spending way too much money before the whole minimalism thing. You know, I had a great big house. I had a pool. We had a guest house. I had the, the big giant truck. Like I was, you know, I wasn't saving. And I listened to the Tim Ferriss show. And there was a guest that came on called Mr. Money Mustache. Mr. If you guys have never gone to MrMoneyMustache.com, just go. Especially if you're in financial trouble, this will change your life. So I found out about the FIRE movement, F-I-R-E, Financially Independent Retire Early. And I was like, oh, damn, this is something. So like here in that podcast, within a year, we had sold the house, sold the truck, moved into a house that we had zero debt on because we had been renting it out. It was our first real estate property. We moved. I said, man, we can sell this house and move back into the rental that we lived in before. So it was the new old house. My kids got a kick out of that. And which is the house that we currently live in, have zero mortgage, sold my truck. I bought a nerd car, the 2013 Nissan Leaf. I tell people I drive an all electric car like Tesla. I go, no, Leaf, Leaf, baby. It looks like a girl frog. I drive a car that looks like a girl frog. It's tiny, but like to put it in perspective, I was paying $200 a month in gas for my truck. Big old F-150, you know, the King Ranch, leather seats and 200 bucks a month. I paid $7,500 for my Nissan Leaf, 2013 Nissan Leaf. I can charge it for free when I walk my dog at our local park. So do the math. I've had it for four years. That's $8,000 plus in gas savings is what paid for. It just paid for itself. And now the damn thing, the nerd car is worth more now. I could sell it for nine to $10,000 now because of the popularity of electric vehicles. So like little stuff like that, just because of this podcast that I heard, all these things changed like dramatic. I'm gonna be able to retire in my forties instead of my who knows when 80s because of this one podcast that I heard. I feel so lucky that little moments like that have popped up in my life and I'm not afraid to take action on it. Got to be willing to give up who you are for who you're to become. What dream are you most focused on catching that? 
Honestly, that's what we just talked about, that financial independence. I'm dangerously close, man. I'm 80% five, 80% F, you know, financially independent. Some people call that like, I forget what the term is, like slow and steady fi or something like that. Like if I wanted to, I could live off my investments. It'd be a little lean, lean fi. That's what they call it. It'd be a little lean. I'm not living in excess, but I'm not going to have to like sell the nerd car or anything to pay the bills. So like hitting that mark, I set the benchmark of financially independent by 45. So I'm 40 now. I'm going to be there by 42, 43 for sure just because of the way that I invest. So like that's the next big thing because that opens up a new set of variables that I really like. And you talk about control, the variable of having to work to pay the bills is off the table at that point, because I'm not gonna get into the whole principles of what you do, but basically it's like you have enough in investments that the interest on those investments pays your bills every single month, every year. It's a machine that it's like, okay, I don't have to. I spend less on my life than what my investments make every year. And that's where you want to get to. So I go, okay, I don't have to work. If I want to work, I can. If I want to make 20K that I got to put into my kid's college or something like that once they're in high school, I can create a course. I could sell a course and create that income if I wanted to, but I don't have to. So at that point, anything that I do work-wise is done because I want to do it, not because I have to do it. I don't have to have you know clients that are annoying. Not that I do now. I love all my clients, but every once in a while, there's you know I got to fire somebody as a client. I don't have to do that anymore. If I don't want to put a podcast every week, I don't have to. There's no more that financial pressure, and that's the next thing I'm really pushing towards. And then the next layer of that is setting up my kids with the same mindset where. Like I've got enough saved up for both my kids' college. My daughter's in kindergarten. She's good. Like I don't, I've already got it all saved because I save like a freak, you know? Uh, my son, good. Like we were an autopilot with their college savings. But now I'm like, all right, how can we get them both scholarships, like full rides, and I'm going to make a deal with them. All that money that was going to go to their college, I'm going to take that and invest in their first investment property and like do the house hacking where like my buddy Jerome teaches and they go, okay, let's buy a duplex. You live in half when you're in college and you rent out the other half to your buddies or whatever. And you've got your first investment property and set them up to succeed even faster level than what I've seen. So I'm thinking, you know, 15 years ahead here with my kids. But that type of thinking is what's going to set them up long haul. So that's what I'm even more excited about. That's outstanding. So I'm sure the listeners are asking, well, well, Jerome, what's he investing? I don't know. What are you investing, Adam? Well, I day trade. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Vanguard Total Stock Market Fund, VTSAX. I put everything in that. I've got that and I've got a Betterment Total Stock Market account, Robo Advisor. I don't have a financial advisor. I don't pay any fees, like, you know, financial advisor fees. And then real estate. Like we've had some good real estate. Like, so the mention of, like we live in the house that we that was a rental at one point uh, with no mortgage, and I owned the the facility that my gym was in. I just sold that for a really great profit. That's really bumped us towards that financial independence number because that thing appreciated in value. So those are the two things. Uh, I don't have any crypto, Bitcoin stuff because I'm not smart enough. I'm from Indiana, and we don't even know. Like we barely know what credit cards are like, what, what's that? Apple pay. What's he saying? So <laughs> I got, you know, I just do total stock market. I don't pull anything out. Like when the big crash happened earlier this year and stuff was way down, I don't even look, I don't even look at it. I just, once a year I go on, I go, okay, it went up a bunch. I make my notes. Kids, college funds are still good. Cool. All right. Just keep pumping money in 80% of what I make goes in there and we're good. So that's, that's the strategy. Whoa. That's a high savings rate, man. Really high savings rate. It's outstanding. Adam, what gift are you giving the world? Beauty. <laughs> Butter boys. 
<laughs> I am a beautiful man. It's a challenging one, but I feel like I allow people to plug in to build up momentum. I did this with weight loss first. I'm like, I know that you're struggling. I know you're in a tough place. I know you've been beating yourself up. I know you don't feel good about yourself, but here's the good news. I know how to get this done. Plug into me, plug into my energy, borrow that, build your own momentum until you build up your own. Now I'm doing that with people launching podcasts, launching businesses around their show. I know this is out of your comfort zone. I know you feel a little self-conscious. You may have been podcasting a little bit. You're a little bit nervous about being an online entrepreneur. You don't really know what's going on. Good news is I got your back. I've done this. I'm doing it. Plug in. Let's build up your own momentum. Borrow mine until you build up your own. Same thing. So that's what I do. I'm like a human battery. He's a battery. Putting the battery in their back and helping them yeah. get what they want out of life. Adam, I'm so grateful you came to hang out with me today. I could keep asking questions, man, but I'm just thankful that you have the level of clarity and that you're setting an example for your kids, especially your son, for what dads can be. I think dads get minimized. I think a lot of people don't understand the importance of dads being active and whether it's the other parent or the dad, they're not actually, I don't want to call it worshiping, but actually given the role, the respect that it deserves. And I think you are creating a life that allows you to put your effort into things that you find the most value in. And as we can hear from what you said today, it's definitely your family and that's rare in today. So thank you so much for being that example to listeners in the world, man. That's, that's amazing. The last question I have for you is what's the one thing you want the listeners to take away? All right. I got a challenge. So let's do this. Whenever I get to guest on a show like this, especially, or when I get to speak on a stage, I do a little thing called the implementation alarm challenge. I gave you guys a lot of ideas. All right. We talked about a lot of different stuff, the, the Forrest Gump stories, you know, but there's probably one that maybe lit you up a little bit more than the other. And you're like, Ooh, I want to find out more about minimalism, or I want to find out more about, you know, investing in total stock market funds or whatever. I want to lose some weight. I want to get healthy. So whatever that one thing is, I want you to set your alarm. I know a lot of you are listening to this on your phone. Just go to the alarm section of your phone and set it for 24 hours from right now. So right now it's 2.06 p.m. Eastern Standard in real life. So if I was doing this now, I'd set it for 2.06 p.m. Friday. And your mission for the next 24 hours is just to do one thing that initiates momentum in line with what really piqued your interest. Podcasts are very entertaining, but people who, I mean, think about when I listened to Tim Ferriss show, I heard Mr. Money Mustache on there. I could have just been entertained by that. And be like, man, that's some crazy ass shit. That was awesome. And then done nothing. But instead I did something and it completely changed my life. So the next 24 hours, take action before that implementation alarm goes off. Uh, because, you know, we're all sharpening the saw or sharpening the blade, but a sharp blade is no good if we don't swing it. So you got to swing, swing that damn axe in the next 24 hours. And you may be surprised at how much momentum is created out of that. So that's the one thing that I want people to take action on. Awesome. And I usually do this at the beginning of the show, but I figured people were going to stay on. This was a cliffhanger. What's the best way for them to get in contact with you? And you got to tell them about our event we, we got coming up. Yeah. I mean, you can just hit me up, podcastingbusiness.school. That's the website, Podcasting Business School on the IG. If you want to be entertained by Instagram reels that involve disco suits, and I've got a pretty sweet, like, do you feel like my Adidas jumpsuit is more Run DMC or LL Cool J? Like, LL Cool J was more Puma, right? And Run DMC was more Adidas and stuff like that. But I have the Kangol also, and I've got Puma shoes, but it all matches. It's all red and white. So it's a little blend. It can't mix brands, Adam. That's the, so, the rules, I think. 
I'm from Indiana and I'm super white. So it's like, I didn't totally dial it in. So, but I felt pretty good about it. Anyway, hang out with me on Instagram. In our event, I'm doing, uh, it's called Flyover Podcast Festival because Indiana is in fact a flyover state. It's in Bloomington, Indiana, my hometown, August 20th and 21st, 2021. And it is all about podcasting. If you're interested in launching a podcast or growing your show or creating a business around your podcast, hit me up, podcastingbusiness.school or hit me up on Instagram. Jerome is going to come hit the stage. So it's, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, just saying, like Jerome is going to be there in person with me. And once our awesomeness combines, podcasting world will never be the same so hit it up let's go i'm fired up about that man i'm excited about it i've already thought about buying a plane ticket about eight times but like wait don't do it yet gotta practice minimalism (laughs) (laughs) adam this has been outstanding man thank you so much for spending time with us and to the listeners your dreams should be real we'll talk to you soon thank you for joining the tribe today we would love to hear from you please don't forget to rate like and share Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.